opportunity to do that. Uh, but for today, we're going to continue in our journey through the Sermon on the Mount. We're in, as I said, still Matthew chapter 5. This is then, as I've said, Jesus' treatise on ethics for living in the kingdom of God. He's been talking about the kingdom of God, and this is him uh, sitting down and saying, so let's talk about what I actually mean when I talk about the kingdom of God. Uh, We heard him several weeks ago uh, announce the good news, say this is good news, and he went through kind of a list and an understanding of why this is good news. And over the past couple of weeks, we've been listening to him take some of the Old Testament rules and laws and principles that people knew. They were common knowledge. And he was saying, let me show you how these things point toward life in the kingdom, how the kingdom that I'm announcing is the fulfillment of what you've always been told about the word of God. So this is for people who are living in the kingdom of God. The challenge, of course, is that while you and I are endeavoring to live as people of God's kingdom, we're surrounded by a whole lot of folks who have no such commitment. Not everybody here on planet Earth is on the same page. Not everybody here is pulling on the same end of the rope. And so we are bound to have adversarial experiences with people. And if the ethic of the kingdom of God is going to be at all helpful to us, if it's going to be at all relevant to us, it has to account for that reality. It has to account for the fact that sometimes we're just not going to get along with others. And so the question before us today is how do we treat our enemies? How do we treat people that have harmed us? How do we treat people with whom we just do not get along? And I want you to think about that question is today we hear the words that Jesus gives, words that are among his most memorable and among his most quotable about how we interact with people as part of the kingdom. And so as I've asked you to do each of the last several weeks, I want you to imagine that you're seated on that mountainside hearing the master speak. And for just a moment or two here, I'm going to simply plagiarize Jesus. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies And pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. These are the words that we hear Jesus say, and there's a lot of little nuggets in there, but I think the one that rings 
uh, loudest in our ears. The one that is most memorable is this admonition to turn the other cheek. It's one that has found its way into the broader culture. I think there's folks that are familiar with this phrase, even if they don't know that it comes from the Bible. This idea that one of the responses we are given when, when insult comes our way to turn the other cheek. It's one of these most quotable things that Jesus says here in the Sermon on the Mount. And I have found that it is a great challenge to many of us. Because to a lot of folks, it makes it sound as if Jesus is telling us that the Christian thing to do, the godly thing to do, the Christ-like thing to do is to always allow mean people to take advantage of you. Be the pushover. Be the punching bag. Hit me with your best shot. Don't stand up for yourself. Take the abuse. That's what Jesus wants you to do, right? Well, just ask yourself the question, in light of what we know about Jesus, in light of what we read throughout Scripture, does that sound right? I hope you can say no. That doesn't sound right to me. That doesn't doesn't sound right. After all, let's remind ourselves quickly that the Bible does actually uphold that ancient principle that, that Jesus had referenced, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. If you want a reference there, you could write down Exodus chapter 21 in the Old Testament law. Exodus chapter 1 verse 23 reads this way. If there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, Hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. That's pretty exhaustive, isn't it? And we've already heard Jesus say that he didn't come to abolish the Old Testament law. He came to bring those things into fulfillment. So so what do we do with this, this teaching about turning the other cheek, right? What's the bottom line here? Are we allowed to stand up for ourselves? or not. I think the key to understanding the answers to those kinds of questions lies in understanding the way that the people in biblical times would have heard those statements. Let's begin with that Old Testament rule, the the eye for the eye and the tooth for the tooth. Uh, it's, It's not unique to scripture. It's a principle that we read throughout the ancient Near East and a lot of other documents, but the Bible adopts it as I just read to you. Now, I've heard this and I kind of always took it to mean that if you do something wrong, you deserve to get punished and the punishment should fit the crime. That's, that's how I always understood that to me. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. If you punch somebody's eye out, then you ought to get your eye punched out. Uh, for instance, uh, if one of you today on your way out of church backs out of your parking space and you back into my car and you smash out my taillight, Eye for eye and tooth for tooth. That means I get to go into the the sports closet and grab one of our baseball bats and I'm going to smash your taillight out. You smashed my taillight out, I get to smash your taillight out. Isn't that how that works? So please be careful when you're leaving the parking lot today. (laughs) But you know what? There's actually a lot of evidence to suggest that that's not how the people of the ancient world understood the eye for eye, tooth for tooth principle. They, they understood it differently. And let me explain this to you. In the ancient world, where you don't really have a cash system, where I can't say, well, just pay me for the repairs and we'll call it even, right? You don't really have that. And you don't have the intricate court system where I can go through a process and, and, and get my, uh, 
my uh, payment due or, or whatever it might be from you. Where we don't have those things, in a lot of cases, retribution was really the only option. And the problem with that, and I think we'll all understand this because we all know human nature, right? The problem with that is a lot of folks just took it too far. And so it wasn't an issue of you bust out my taillight, so I'm going to bust out your taillight. The issue quickly became, you smashed out my taillight? Well, I'm going to go get the baseball bat and I'm going to smash your windshield. And then you said to me, you smashed my windshield? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to slash your tires. And then I say, you slashed my tires, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pour detergent in your gas tank. And then you say, you poured detergent in my gas tank? I'm going to cut your brake lines. And I say, you cut my brake lines? I'm setting your car on fire. <laughs> and we go from a fender bender in the parking lot to a burning vehicle in the middle. The things escalate there very quickly. I, I couldn't help but notice some people in the back row getting very excited about the proclamation of the word of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Do you see how quickly things escalate when we leave them to human nature and the idea that I'm allowed to get retribution if you do me wrong? So recognizing that a lot of ancient cultures, including the ancient Jews from whom we have the Old Testament, they developed civil guidelines that said, okay, if you're going to take retribution for somebody for some wrongdoing, you can do it, but you can't go any further than the original harm. You can't escalate the situation. This far, but no farther. You're entitled to an eye for an eye, but nothing more. You're entitled to a tooth for a tooth, but nothing more. If we were to kind of rephrase it, it's not really you get an eye for an eye, it's you only get an eye for an eye. You only get a tooth for a tooth. Dr. Lauren is my dentist. Uh, a year and a half ago, she, she had to pull one of my teeth. And then within this last year, I chipped another and she had to grind it down about halfway. I owe her like a tooth and a half, right? Right? That far, but no farther. Lauren, I can't take two of your teeth. I've only got one and a half coming, you got it? There you go. This far and no farther, that's what the law says. So fast forward to the time of Jesus. And what he has for us is some commentary on that idea. He's saying, yeah, the law says that you are entitled to up to and including one eye per one eye. But that doesn't mean you have to take it. In fact, if somebody does something evil to you, don't assume that you have to respond in kind. That's what he's saying here. He goes on and gives other other uh, examples. He references getting slapped in the cheek. And again, that's a hard one for us because we hear that and we think physical violence, right? We all just watched Will Smith slap Chris Rock in the cheek, right? And it was, it was physical violence. And we we're all thinking, man, are they going to duke it out right there on stage? Is there going to be a fight? Fight, 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 right? Like what's going to happen here? Uh, but Jesus isn't talking about a physical fight. He's not talking about two guys punching each other. He's talking about a, a backhanded slap across the cheek, which was a cultural insult. You, you, I'm going to taunt you. You know, you, you, you bad person. I'm going to, I, it, it was an insult. 
He's talking about being insulted. Physical violence isn't really what's in view here. And it's important to understand that because Jesus, when he says to turn the other cheek, he is not saying that abused people have to go on being abused. He's saying, if somebody's trying to pick a fight with you, you don't have to respond. You don't have to go to every fight that you're invited to. That's what Jesus is saying. As a matter of fact, if, if he was updating this turn the other cheek language into something that, that fits our culture a little bit more readily, because we don't really slap each other in the cheek when we're angry with each other. We don't, and see, I'm mad at you. We don't, we, don't, we don't do that, right? If Jesus was going to update it into something for our culture, you know what I think he would say? Forgive me for this. I think he'd say, you know what, if somebody gives you the middle finger, you don't necessarily have to flip them the bird back. In fact, you might want to recognize, for those of you watching on video, this is my index finger. I don't know how clear your TVs are or your phones. If somebody gives you the middle finger, you might recognize that in fact they have another hand. They just might give you another one. And that's okay. You don't have to respond in kind. Just because you're entitled, and everybody would understand if you did, just because you can do it doesn't mean you have to. The ancient law, for instance, said that if you ever got sued and the courts ruled that you had to pay damages, they, they could possess your belongings. They could take whatever they wanted and give it to the person who had won the suit against you. But the laws in Jesus' day said they couldn't force you to give up your only coat. Your last coat was deemed a, an essential piece of survival, and the rules said the courts can't take you that, that from you. The person who sued you isn't entitled to that, no matter how bad your crime is, no matter how much you owe, no matter what. You always get to keep your last coat, because in the eyes of the law, you, you need it to survive. Jesus says, okay, that, that's fine, but it doesn't mean you have to keep it. If giving it up is going to solve the problem, you might consider doing that. The law said in Jesus' day that a Roman soldier could grab any person they wanted along the side of the road and say, hey, guess what? <laughs> I got ordered to march to that city and you're now going to carry my gear. You have to walk with me because I'm a Roman soldier. I don't want to carry my own gear. You have to come with me and you have to carry it. The law said the Roman soldier could do that. And if he did it, you had to do it. You couldn't say, I'm sorry, I'm on my way to the grocery store. Can't, can't help you out today. No, if the Roman soldier did it, you had to do it. But the law said... After you've walked with him for one mile, you are entitled to say, thank you very much, sir. I'm going to just leave your stuff here. I'm done. And you're entitled to leave and be done with it. Jesus says you're entitled to, but you don't have to. If he tells you to walk with him for a mile, then walk too. Just because you're entitled to leave doesn't mean that you have to leave. You see the verse on the screen, verse 41 of Matthew chapter 5. If anyone forces to go, you to go one mile, then go with them two miles. Just because the law of retribution gives you the right to take certain liberties doesn't mean you have to take them. Rights give us some very, very helpful boundaries, but they don't always point us to the best way forward. And I think Jesus is saying all of this to tell us this. Kingdom people aren't concerned with their entitlements. It's just not what we're concerned with. In the kingdom, our primary concern is not what I am entitled to. Now, the world we live in is very concerned with their rights 
and with their entitlements, aren't they? Most of the rules that we live in, in in our society are about the rights of individuals. The whole purpose of the legal system in this nation is to protect the rights of individuals. And one of the reasons I believe that it's so very difficult to combine religion and politics is that politics is based on defending your rights and the ethic of Jesus is to lay down your rights. And it's very hard to get those two things to mesh well together. The kingdom of God does not work the way the kingdoms of this world work. That's, it's not that you don't have rights in the kingdom. It's just that the kingdom of God isn't designed around getting you what you deserve. And oh, by the way, isn't that a good thing? The word says what we actually deserve is death. So let's not live our lives based on trying to get what we deserve. Let's try to get you more than what you deserve. Let's try to get you better than what you deserve. And the way to do that is to stop fighting for what you deserve and try to find a better way. The kingdom has bigger purposes in mind. So living in that kingdom means being less preoccupied with trying to obtain whatever it is you think you're entitled to. What is the kingdom of God preoccupied with? Well, in large part, it's preoccupied with the needs of others. In the kingdom, other people's needs come before my rights. Now, I want you to hear what I said there very clearly. I'm not saying that other people's needs come before my needs. The kingdom doesn't say, hey, just don't take care of yourself. Don't worry about yourself. No, no, no. It says other people's needs come before my rights. So, for instance, I have the right to keep all of my hard-earned money for myself. But if I can use it to help address somebody else's legitimate needs... The kingdom says that's actually a better way. I have the right to seek retribution when I have been wronged. But if setting that right down helps me address somebody else's needs, then the kingdom says that's actually a better way. I have the right, Jesus affirms this, I have the right to tell you no when you ask me for my help. But if I could actually address your legitimate needs, even if it's an inconvenience to me, the kingdom says that's actually a better way of doing things. And you know what I think? I think most of us would agree with that because I look at a church family here and I see a room full of people who regularly make sacrifices to help one another. There are many of you in this room that that I have seen and I have, uh, I have observed, easy for me to say, I have observed you lay down your rights, lay down your entitlements, make sacrificial decisions to help each other out. My family and I have been on the receiving end of that more times than I could count. And it's not just for each other. I've seen you guys make sacrifices for people you haven't even met. I've seen you give of your hard-earned money to missionaries who are going to go on the other side of the world and help somebody that you'll never know about. I've seen you take uh, accumulated time off of work 
work so you can go to another church in another part of the state or another part of the country and, and help some Christians do some. You've never met these folks. Serve people on a mission trip. Get involved here or there. Go to the Tivoli and, and, and provide meals to people that you might not otherwise meet or encounter in any way. I think you get it, I see it. We give of our time and our resources to help each other out and sometimes we even do it for the benefit of people that we've never even met. But what about the people that we have met and we don't like? What about the people who have hurt us? What about our enemies? You say, well, I'm a good Christian. I don't have any enemies. Can I, can I tell you that if you don't have any enemies, you're not living like Jesus? Because <laughs> Jesus had enemies, didn't he? So what do we do with our enemies? Does the law require that we treat them kindly? Don't we have the right to treat them a little bit differently? Aren't we entitled to hold them to a different standard? And Jesus in essence, says, well, yeah, in a lot of cases, you do have that right, but hanging on to it usually doesn't get you anywhere helpful. Verse 46, he puts it this way. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Aren't even the tax collectors doing that? And I have to imagine that as he said that, there was kind of a muted chuckle in the crowd. When <laughs> people were like, yeah, tax collectors, nobody likes them. You know, they do throw good parties, though. They do throw good parties, and a lot of their friends go to those parties. They do treat each other well. They do treat each other well. Isn't that interesting? They do treat each other well. The whole point of the kingdom of God is that it's different from the world we live in. It is set apart. It is unique. That's what the word holy means, right? But if we, as people of the kingdom of God, only ever extend love to people who already love us, then we aren't really very different, are we? We aren't really very set apart. We aren't unique in any way. Uh, in biblical language, we aren't holy. We aren't holy. Jesus is pointing out that for the most part, even evil people in the world treat their friends kindly. In 1943, at the height of World War II, the Italian dictator Benito Mussolini celebrated his 60th birthday. And for his birthday that year, he received a gift of the, the unabridged library, uh, written works by the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. He loved that gift. He got it as a gift from his very dear friend, Adolf Hitler. Isn't that nice? Wasn't that sweet of Adolf? Adolf was very busy that year trying to take over the world. And yet he was thoughtful enough to set aside some time and get a very expensive, very unique gift for his good buddy Benito and send it to him and say, Benito, happy, happy 60th, dude. We really love you and appreciate you up here in Nazi Germany. The fact that he did that nice, kind thing, does that make him a big man? Does that make him a loving man? Does that make him a godly man? Or is everybody in this room going to chuckle and say, yeah, he's still evil. He's still evil. It doesn't matter that he got his friends, or his friend in this case, a nice present. 
So we can't evaluate our own morality based on how we treat our friends. The real question is whether or not we're willing to lay our rights aside even when we're dealing with our enemies. Are we willing to sacrifice our entitlements in order to address other people's needs, even if the other people in question are enemies? That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying that kingdom people aren't concerned with their entitlements, no matter whom they're dealing with. It's not a different set of rules for this crowd than it is for that crowd. We lay our entitlements down no matter whom we're dealing with. When somebody purposefully wrongs you, they become your enemy. And you are entitled to retribution. Jesus sees that. He recognizes that. He knows that. He gets that. He just wants you to know that in his kingdom, there's a better way. There's a more profound, a more powerful response to wrongdoing. Now, he never uses the word here, but I hope we would agree that what he's really talking about is forgiveness. This isn't meant to be a sermon about forgiveness. I've, I've preached about forgiveness in the past. No doubt I'll preach about it again in the future. Time doesn't allow for us to dig deeply into that word here today. But suffice to say, I believe that we don't understand forgiveness very well in the world today. Most of us aren't quite sure what to do with it or how to navigate it. Forgiveness is often misunderstood. And forgiveness... Understand this, forgiveness doesn't need to overlook a fault in the sense of pretending that it didn't happen. That's not what forgiveness is. And forgiveness doesn't require that I keep, uh, remain in a position where I'm going to get hurt a second time. Forgiveness doesn't require either of those things. The essence of forgiveness is my recognition that I have been wronged. If I'm pretending that I haven't been wronged, I, I, you can't forgive if you haven't been wronged. The essence of forgiveness is that I recognize that I have been wronged, but I'm choosing to relinquish my entitlement to retribution. I'm setting that aside. Jesus says that forgiveness is the way of things in his kingdom and that forgiveness ought to be available to everyone. And then he closes these thoughts with what I think is one of the most difficult verses in the entire Bible. Verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And everybody says, okay, I'll just do that then. Be perfect. Thank you very much, Jesus. If I'd have known that was the problem, I wouldn't have even asked. I remember uh, a few years ago, I was repainting some some of the rooms in my house and I had been struggling because when you get right up to the top of the wall and you try and work on that edge and you've got a nice white ceiling and then you slip a little bit and a little bit of the paint ends up on the nice white ceiling and, and I had gotten some of that blue painters tape and it just never quite worked perfectly and I had an edging tool and I couldn't get that to work and no matter what I did I was just not happy with the edge I was making there. If you've been a part of the HRCC family a long time you'll, you'll remember our friend Wayne Pickering who was a professional painter and I went to Wayne and I was telling him what I was doing I'm like and no matter what I do like and then I can't clean it up and then I'm trying to put a little bit of white on top of the mess and then the white gets on the wall and it's just like never ending. What do I do, Wayne? What do I do? 
And Wayne, with his characteristic grin, looked at me and said, just don't get the paint up there. <laughs> okay, Wayne, thank you for your help. I appreciate it, buddy. And I think that's kind of how we respond to Jesus saying, well, if you want to solve all these problems, just be perfect. <laughs> just be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. But let's, let's, let's cut Jesus a little slack here. Lord, we want to cut you some slack today, right? <laughs> no, he, he gets it. He, he isn't actually telling us to solve all your problems by never sinning again. He knows that the infection of sin makes that impossible for us. What he is telling us here, though, and this is important, is that if, if we want to know the right way to do something difficult, like dealing with an enemy, Learn from the example that God has set for us. Learn, learn from the example that God has set for us. Do we remember that scripture tells us that we all, we all, were once enemies of God? Romans chapter 5 verse 10 if you want to look it up. Aren't we glad that God set aside his right to retribution? I mean, that's what we're doing here today, right? That's why we worship. That's why we praise. Because we recognize that we who were once enemies of God recognize that God set aside his very basic right to retribution. He was, after all, entitled to vengeance, wasn't he? But that's not how he treated us. That's not how he treated us. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Kingdom people aren't concerned with their entitlements no matter whom they're dealing with, because that's how God treats us. That's how God treats us. He says, you want to know how to do this? Follow the example God has given. You want to know how to do this difficult thing that I'm talking about, this thing that the law for thousands of years has tried to point you toward, but you obviously weren't able to fully understand and fully grasp it, but now I'm bringing it to fulfillment. Now I'm showing you what that looks like. You want to know how to do it? Look to the example God has given. Let's just think about that for a minute. We started by saying, don't be concerned with your entitlements. And Jesus is saying, don't be concerned with your entitlements because I wasn't. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 tells us that Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Jesus had the office, if you will, of God. He had the privilege of being God. And he said, you know what? I am entitled to live eternity in heaven's throne. That's my right. That's my prerogative. But we got ourselves a situation here. And so I'm going to set my, my rights aside. And I'm going to do something that's going to help my creation out. Don't be preoccupied with your entitlements. Why? He, we said set aside your entitlements for the needs even of your enemies. Even of your enemies. Romans chapter 5 verse 6. You see at just the right time while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, I suppose someone might possibly dare to die. 
But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel is that while you and I were enemies of God, Jesus said, you know what? I think I can do something about that. But what it's going to require is for me to take my entitlement, my right, and set it aside, and do something for the benefit of those who are still my enemies. That's what Jesus said. And here we have him sitting on a mountainside, looking at people who would endeavor to be part of the kingdom, and he says to them, go and do likewise. It's no more complicated than that. Oh, it's not easy. It's not easy. How many of you here, please don't raise your hand or point at anyone near you. How many of you here have some enemies? <laughs> oh, it's not easy. It's not easy. But it's not complicated either. Jesus says, look at what I've done. Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. In the kingdom of God, when it comes to the way that we treat our enemies, we do it the way we do it because that's how King Jesus did it. And it's his kingdom and it's his rules, so we follow his example. I want to lead you in a time of prayer today. And I want to speak to where I imagine the perspective might be at this moment. I would imagine that in this room, there are those that hear the word enemy. There are those that hear words like abuse and wrongdoing and, and offense. And your mind goes immediately to a particular situation or an individual. Applying today's sermon is not a stretch. It's not a challenge. It's not difficult. And I'm not suggesting that it's because you're mean-spirited or because you're hurt or because you're just spoiling for a fight or something like that. I'm just saying there are wounds in this room. And in many cases, we know exactly from whom those wounds came. And I would imagine that the last thing, if you've been struggling with this, maybe the last thing you wanted to hear when you came to church today was Jesus say, turn the other cheek. Because in your flesh, you're saying, you know what, Lord, I'm running out of cheeks here. And it's not fun to be a punching bag. It's not fun to be the object of ridicule. It's not fun to hear people tell lies about you again and again and again and feel like I have no move but to just be silent. It's not fun. Jesus gets that. Jesus gets that. If that's where you're at today, I invite you to hear the Holy Spirit speak very specifically into your heart and into your mind right now. I'm not going to do it, but he's going to give you the name of a person that has caused you pain. 
And he's going to tell you regarding this person, regarding this individual, regarding this situation, whatever context it might be for you, I want you to hear the Holy Spirit say, my child, there's a better way. There's a better way. And then I want to give you the space to argue with him for a minute. I want to give you the space to say, but Lord, I'm tired of being a punching bag and I don't want to go through the rest of my life continuing to take the hits. Metaphorically, whatever that means. It's okay. Tell God that. Tell, tell that to the Lord right now. I believe that if you listen closely, you'll hear God say back to you, I know. I know. I get it. My child, I get it. I get that you have the right to fight back. I get that there's a way that you can frame this in your mind where it feels like righteous indignation. It feels like, well, I want to do a holy war. I want to be in the right. I get it. I'm just telling you. There's a better way. There's a better way. I'm going to play this conversation out one more line. There's still a part in our flesh that hears that from the Lord and responds, but I want what I'm entitled to. All I want is what I'm entitled to. That's where you're at. That's okay. Say that to the Lord. He knows. Lord, I'm not asking for more than I deserve here. I just want what I'm entitled to. Hear the word of the Lord today. My child, I want you to have more than what you're entitled to. I want you to have more than what you're entitled to. Stop thinking such tiny thoughts about what you're entitled to. I want you to have more than what you're entitled to. And I'm telling you, there's a better way. There's a better way. Lord, it's our heart's desire to live the kingdom way, to do it the better way. But Lord, Oh my goodness, everything in our bodies, sometimes, sometimes everything in our bodies rages against that godly desire. And we say, but this is the moment, this is the moment when it is, when it is right to pick a fight. We say, this is the moment when it is right to settle this old school. 
God, we just need to leave that at your feet today. We just need to leave that at your feet today. Lord, forgive me for for saying I want to hold on to it until I want to leave it at your feet. I just need to leave it at your feet. (laughs) Whether that's what I want, whether that's what I see, whether that's what I get, whether I've really even arrived there, Lord, I want to be more obedient than that. Because your spirit in me testifies to my spirit that, yeah, there is a better way. There is a better way. And so I pray that in these moments, in just this space that we've given in these last few moments here, there would be such a miraculous heart work of reconciliation. Lord, literally, that specific relationships would come into line. Not because you changed the evildoer's heart, but Lord, because you changed our hearts. And he helped us realize the example of our Savior that we don't have to show up to every fight and every argument we've been invited to. There just is a better way. And so, Lord, my prayer for this congregation, for this people gathered here today, is that we would be known, that we would be known for this, that we would be known as the people who treat others with love and with grace and with kindness, whether they like us or not. Whether we like them or not, whether we consider them closer than a brother or sister, or whether we consider them enemies to be watched very carefully, in either case, Lord, we treat them as Jesus has treated us, with love and with grace and with mercy. God, we're going to need a lot of your help to do that. We're going to need a lot of strength to do that. We're going to need a lot of wisdom to do that. But Lord, we want to do that. We want to do that. And so move on our hearts today. Lord, I pray that as that happens, the very real wounds that we have suffered in our hearts, in our minds, and even, Lord, in our bodies, Lord, that you would bring healing to those things that you would bring healing to those things. Retribution is never going to accomplish that for us. We're just going to end up with two broken taillights and a burning car in our parking lot. That's as far as we can get on our own. But Lord, it is by your spirit that healing can come. It is by your sacrifice that healing can come. And so I pray that healing would be released over this place. For the wounds we have received, some of those wounds are old. They're old, crusty bruises that have been there far too long. And some of them are so new that they're still festering and oozing and they're raw. But Lord, in both cases, I pray healing. We declare the healing of God over one another in this place. We thank you for those things. We receive from you today such as you have for us. We pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus. Everybody says, Amen. Amen.